Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Jai Dvaita Pradhaya Sri Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Sri Gobinda Ki Jai Sri Mohanji Ki Jai Sri Gopinath Ki Jai Vrindavan Sri Sri Ki Jai Jai Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita Ki Jai Krishna Skaviraj Kusami Ki Jai Sri Gauri Vaishnava Guru Parampara Ki Jai Bhut Premanande So as I mentioned, we have some discussion from Chaitanya Charitamrita in the evening. Chaitanya Charitamrita means the immortal nectar. Nectar and immortality go together. The sweet amrit, the nectar, the immortality, the immortal nectar of the character, person of Sri Chaitanya. And the book is composed by Sri Krishna Kaviraj Goswami. And um, in many respects, it's the most important book of the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. It takes, uh, presents the distilled essence of Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the essence of all the sacred texts. So I want to read from the beginning of this book. In the beginning, as with this type of text, then the author has given what's called the Mangalacharan. Mangalacharan means like an auspicious invocation, invoking the blessings of offering respects to the deity of the book and defining in, in, in essence, in a, in a, like a nutshell, they say, in a, what the book is about and offering a blessing to those who read it, so forth. So... Mangalacharan is made up of these elements, Namaskar, Vastunudesh, and Ashurvad, and other things sometimes as well, but here these three are found in the first uh, four verses. And the first two, the author offers his Namaskar, or his respect, to Sri Krishna Chaitanya, in the first one, in a, in, a, in a general way, and in the second one, he says, and this is the verse I want to discuss, that Protoma Shloke Kahi Samanya Mongola Charana. So in the first sloka, he said, we're going to discuss the second one, but he's prefacing his discussion by referring back to the first, and he says, Samanya Mongola Charana. I've given a general Samanya verse to invoke auspiciousness. But now, dvitiya shlokete kori vishesh vandana. Now in the second sloka, I'm going to offer my pranam, my respect, in a specific way. So, this indicates here that he's going to introduce the deity of book whom he offers his respects to. And he says, what? This is the verse. Bande sikhas na chaitanya nityananda sohodito so one day means, uh, for my respect, Sri Krishna Chaitanya, to Sri Krishna Chaitanya. This is the name that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu received at the time that he took sannyas. His birth name was Vishwambar. Vishwambar Mishra. Of course, now, we're discussing this because the purpose of our whole existence here as devotees is to develop love for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and thereby 
love of Radha and Krishna. So discuss about him and every aspect of his manifest pastime by which he made a glimpse of himself available to all of us for a short period in this world. This is what we should be preoccupied with. And preoccupation with that will make it very easy for us to do the things that are conducive for loving Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, like controlling the mind and the senses and and so on and so forth. So Sri Krishna Chaitanya is his son, name he took at the time of sannyas, at the time of becoming a renunciate. Otherwise he was known variously by different names mm. in his childhood. His birth name, as I mentioned, was Vishwambar. Vishwambar means who maintains the universe. Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami has commented on that name later on in this, in this text. He says that he maintains the world in a very special way. Maintenance of the world is not particularly the business of Krishna. That is, not Prajnanandana Krishna. Although Krishna does come to maintain the world in one sense, to maintain the world by giving support to dharma, religious life, spiritual life, exemplifying that and teaching about that, protecting that, and so forth. In that sense, Krishna does some maintenance. He mentions it in the Bhagavad Gita. He says, what? Dharma samstapanartaya sambhavami yuge yuge. I come again and again and maintain the, the principles of dharma, especially when they are in some out of order. Then I come to renew the ideal what a human life, as we were talking about the other night, is uh, what opportunity it gives us, and how to pursue that, and so forth. This is dharma. But this is one sense of maintaining. Now, another sense of maintaining that is done by uh, Vishnu, who maintains the world in all respects, who makes possible the whole affair of material existence, it issues forth from him. That is a kind of lila or pastime of Vishnu. We call it the Srishti Lila, the Lila of creation. Probably creation is not the best translation for Srishti, I don't know. Maybe it's a good one, but English is rather limited in conveying some of the concepts found in these texts and in the Sanskrit language. So we, we use creation, but really there we in uh, Hinduism and Vedanta and Gaudiya Vaishnavism then there's no real creation in that. Nothing, as we find like in the Bible, for example, where something is said to have been made out of nothing. Whatever exists will always exist. Whatever doesn't exist will never exist. That's the idea. Things do come and go, but those are just different arrangements of elements that um, are always in existence. They may manifest in a specific form, manifest in general as the stuff of the world and just as the specific forms like a house or uh, our body or a car may come and and go so the way in which the material elements constituents are manifest generally they will also come and go bhutva bhutva paliyate coming and going so the world is come, is manifesting and becoming unmanifest and manifesting and becoming unmanifest since the beginning of since of time of beginning. 
no creation. You have to think. Of course, it's a little hard to fit that in between your ears, but we don't want to stay just in our head. We want to go beyond the limits of our head and what we can arrive at by thinking. Therefore, it's important for us to practice Krishna consciousness and not just think about it. But if we are to think, then we should think about what all these texts have said and great saints have given to us and how they have envisioned and experienced the world. Vishnu is a name for God. It means like all-pervasive. And it is said that his Leela, the Mahavishnu, the great Vishnu, is this Shristi Leela. So he manifests the world and it becomes unmanifest and manifests and becomes unmanifest like this. In endless cycles that is envisioned by the Rishis, by the mystics, like the breathing of the great all-pervasive one, Vishnu. He breathes out and the world comes, becomes manifest. He breathes in, it becomes unmanifest. And he's big. He's all-pervasive. So he has big breath. So just as God lives without beginning and without end, so the world is, in a broader sense, without beginning, without end, although sometimes manifest, sometimes unmanifest. If Vishnu is eternal, then he has to breathe. Breath is the life, right, in one sense. Sometimes we call pran, the life air. If you're not breathing, then you're not living. So, so the mystics have seen the world like this. The all-pervasive reality breathes. It's not a dead thing. It breathes. With the out-breath, the world becomes manifest. And with the inhalation, it becomes quiet and unmanifest. And Vishnu sleeps like this. This is the kind of the, the story of, for lack of a better word, creation. Now, I want you to appreciate this point, if you can, that in comparison to the biblical myth about creation, you can understand, if you look carefully and uh, listen carefully, that this myth, the creation myth, has so much more correspondence with reality. It's a way of describing, that means to say, what others have described to us by other methods. And although there will always be some difference and, and disconnect, there are so many points of similarity, nonetheless. I mean, you have to study a little science, and then you have to study the whole concept of creation as it's given, or, well, for, again, for lack of a better word, the Shristi Leela, given in Bhagavatam. Gurnishta asked me a question about this a couple months back about science, and he, was, he wanted to be sure that he was rational in his approach to uh, life and being involved in Krishna consciousness. And, and um, he had been reading something where someone had been describing various maybe myths of different cultures and so forth and superstition and whatnot and, and showing how that had all been, re reason retires all of this and so forth. So I uh, spoke to him a bit and and uh, gave him some ways to think about that. And I, and I recommended a... Uh, I had heard an uh, a, uh, interview of a scientist some years back 
on the national public radio. And um, I thought that the fellow had talked about it in an interesting way that had some correspondence with, with the Bhagavatam and so forth. So I, I looked it up on the Internet where they have them all archived, all of these things, and I found the talk. And so I, I listened to it to make sure it was relevant. And I, I was quite surprised to hear it, it, one part in it because the fellow was speaking about the, what's now, it's a theory, it's called string theory, that sometimes is described even by scientists as a way of seeing the world as if it is the song in going on in the mind of God, something like that. If, if a scientist was to speak poetically, he would say something like that. And they don't do that, of course, too often, because they're not poets, not lovers, Rasikas, Babukas, and so forth, which is what the mystics in the Bhagwat tradition are. So they'll have a different language, my point is, for describing it. At any rate, this string theory speaks about the world being made of sound, vibrations, really. I'm explaining it in a simplistic way, of course. And it also speaks about the necessity to have more than four dimensions to explain the basic aspects of reality that science has determined um, you can't get away from. There's three or four of them, something like that. They can't be explained by four dimensions. So in the string theory, they posit up to like ten different dimensions. That's significant, of course, for us. Because as you know, we we live in what, a three-dimensional world, and then there's time, which is kind of becomes a mystical dimension. And there are species that live in a two-dimensional world. Some insects or microbes or something like that. Maybe some live in a one-dimensional world. I don't know. But if if a living being in a two-dimensional realm of experience, if you reach in from the third dimension, that'll be quite mystical and unexplainable and, and so on. So Bhagavatam speaks about things that are not within the range of our three-dimensional experience, and we tend sometimes to dismiss them. But we should be careful, cautious about that, because we're like that bug living in a two-dimensional world, and Bhagavatam is speaking from a multi-dimensional frame of reference, and beyond, for that matter. At any rate, um, this fellow was, was speaking about the string theory, and it also included an idea that the universe expanded to a certain point and then contracted in endless cycles. So again, here you found some correspondence to the Bhagavatam. It doesn't have any correspondence with Adam taking out a rib and turning it into Eve and eating the apple. And so you see, this is really a myth, a story. It has no real correlation with any finding in science. And science does find things that are true. And so we should not dismiss them because they're not written in our book. We should find how they are spoken about in, in different language in a text by other seers. And they are seeing through different eyes. Science is seeing through one eye, the, the, the rational eye, and the eye that uh, demands, upon, uh, demands for um, uh, data and uh, the controlled experiment is, is central to science. If you can put it in a controlled environment, make experiment, get consistent data, then you can say that this happens. And it's a fact, something like that's the idea. Of course, the problem with, with that and, and consciousness and, and God and so forth is that 
by the basic definition, God is superior to to us. So something that's superior to us can't be controlled by us. So naturally he will escape the controlled experiment. So if you could demonstrate him by that method, then he wouldn't be who the theologians and the transcendentalists say that God is. But at any rate, scientists are speaking about the world, experiencing the world through a particular lens and have a particular kind of language to talk about it. And when we see the Bhagavatas, the devotees, they have another way of talking about it. They're seeing not only with a poetic eye, but with with a heart filled with, with an ecstatic eye, in ecstasy, they're looking at the world. And so they're describing it in a very different way. And actually their poetic and ecstatic experiences and vision of the world is more attractive than the dry way in which the scientists are explaining. At any rate, when I was hearing the talk before I gave it to Gurnish to see if it will be relevant, I had remember hearing it a few years ago, but I didn't remember the detail. I just remembered the, the string theory. So I, I don't know if it was the exact same talk that I found, but it was a talk on string theory. And he was speaking about this theory, and he was saying, and the lady who was interviewing him asked, well, is there any, you know, how does this your theory fit with, like, religion and spirituality and so forth? So science and spirituality are often at odds. He said, oh, I don't think they have to be at odds, necessarily. And he said... Um, he said, my brother's a Hare Krishna. <laughs> that was quite surprising to me. He said, and I tell him uh, this and that and the other thing. And he says, that's right there in the Vedas. And, and he said, so the ancient mystics, they also had some way of talking about the, the thing. And there's some, often some correspondence and so forth. So, so Srishti Lila. And the world is coming and going, coming and going. And uh, the, the motivation for manifesting the world is the ecstasy of Vishnu, the joy of Vishnu wants to become many. One becomes many and the world becomes manifest. But the many are small and the one is big and the small ones end up having some problem in connection with the vastness of material nature, although they are superior to matter, being consciousness. The greatness, the vastness of matter has a tendency to cover them and make them feel that they are dependent upon material conditions. I've given an example before that it takes a viewer to turn on and give meaning to the television. So the viewer is much more uh, important or valuable than the television. Without the viewer, the television has no value. Still, sometimes we find that the television takes over the viewer and he loses his perspective and gets stuck. Somebody has to come and pull him away from the television and tell him, you've got a life. There are other things to do. So similarly, material nature is vast and we're, although a particle of consciousness and qualitatively superior, our size is very small and prone then to be overwhelmed by material nature. So Vishnu, who has manifested us for the sake of joy, recognizing the problem descends, that's called avatar, descends into the world to make available the means by which the jivas, the souls, can meet their their maker. So this is his business. He's maintaining the world in a more general way. And of course, 
this larger discussion that we have gone into tangentially is uh, interesting with regard to the debate of intelligent design that's been going on in the United States in some court in relation to Darwinian evolution, as I mentioned the other night. The, um, it would be interesting to write something that made onto an, of intelligent design. It's been said that Hindus were evolutionists long before Darwin. They have an idea that as the necessity arises in consciousness to see, the sun becomes manifest and the eyes become manifest. And as the necessity to hear awakens, then the ears become manifest. And that within nature which corresponds in the macrocosmic sense with the sense of hearing becomes manifest. And so the world, matter, evolves, takes shape and moves according to the necessity of consciousness. It's intelligence or conscious driven the evolution and development of matter is very clearly given in, in Srimad Bhagavatam. So again, you're not going to make a 100% correspondence with, with everything that's thought of by science. Now there's everything they've found there accurate necessarily, but some fundamental principles, we can find some considerable correspondence. In other words, the idea that it really matters is evolving out of a necessity. This is central to, I think, Darwinian evolution. Bhagavatam says one living being is food for another, so there is this the struggle for existence. A fellow wrote an article, a devotee that I read, it was interesting in that he made the point that that the Bhagavatam agrees with the basic premise of Darwin, the, the insight of Darwin, which gave rise to his, his theory. And unfortunately, it uh, was the demise of his faith in God. And that was that, 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 again, one living being is food for another, that life is about a struggle, a survival of the fittest, and so forth. He saw the world as being very unfriendly. And so the, and he had a problem with the idea that God is posited to be loving and kind, and but the world is very unkind. So he lost faith in God. So the Bhagavatam, however, says the same thing, that the world is uh, its a struggle. And one living being is food for another. One's funeral is another's festival. I see it all the time because at our Darya there are big vultures that fly in high in the sky, and then two of them come and three of them come. And so they're gathering for a festival. And some some animals dying on in the, in the forest. So one's funeral is another's festival. This is the way of the world. So Bhagavatam says the same thing, but it but rather than that being a impetus for losing faith in God, it it gives tremendous impetus, negative impetus, for pursuing a solution to the problem through the culture of spiritual life and releasing consciousness from the struggle material existence because it has nothing really to to struggle for. That is that is the illusion. So interesting talks, but at any rate, our point is that Vishnu maintains in a particular way. You said that by manifesting the universe, Krishna maintains in a particular way also by in Mathura and Dwaraka by establishing Dharma in, in Kurukshetra, by speaking the Bhagavad Gita, and so forth. 
But in Vrindavan, he's just playing there. He's fully being himself. That is the epitome, the essence, the zenith of the real dharma, prema dharma. But he's not really standing on a pedestal and explaining it and maintaining the world in that way. But Sri Krishna Chaitanya, he is was named Vishwambar at birth, maintainer of the universe. And he is said to be maintaining the universe in a very special way, not in the way that Vishnu is, although that is within him also. But by his very example and life and character, uh, which is described in this book, Chaitanya Charitamrita, his nourishing, maintaining the world by giving them the, the people of the world, living beings of the world, the, the opportunity to pursue the highest, uh, to realize the highest potential, to enter into the Brajalila of Krishna by giving them prem, prema dharma. In other words, he's explaining the dharma of the prem of Braj Bhakti, of all these cowherds and gopis and Jamuna and all these things. What all? What that is all about? Krishna is not really explaining it. He leaves there to explain religious principles and so forth. And basically, he tells people, Sarvadharma at the end of the Gita. So anyway, give up everything else, all other pursuits, and uh, and just surrender to me, become my devotee, and so forth. But what it means to be his devotee in Braj and, and how to do that, and so he has not shown that. And it could be said that there's a number of reasons for that. One of them, of course, is that in his manifest Leela, Sri Krishna was a little bit thrown off balance, seeing the measure of Radha's love. He was the king of love, he's the Rasaraj, but he saw the measure of her love exceeded anything in his experience, so that gave him some doubts about himself. I've called it like an existential crisis for Krishna. And so that may have hindered his ability to speak about dharma in the full sense of the term. But to resolve that then, in an encore appearance, he has come as Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Vishwambar. And he's come to maintain the universe in this way by, by giving them uh, real support, the support of, of the Dharma of Prema. What kind of support is that? I've said before that one of the ways in which we can appreciate that Krishna is, is God and, um, and more, the supreme, the fountainhead of all manifestations of Godhead, which would mean that he was all-powerful. All one of the ways in which we can appreciate that is that he's only playing because it takes power, as I've mentioned before, to play. In other words, uh, if you have a little money in the bank, then you can take a vacation. And if you saved up and got some power. So because he's only playing, then we can understand, well, he is all-powerful. So this is real maintenance of the jiva. If he can come to a level of just just playing, which is what everybody wants to do, everyone wants to just play, do whatever they want, whenever they want something like that, without any worries or concerns. See how powerful you must be. What type of maintenance system you must have in order to do that. So this is the Brajlila of Krishna. It's like that. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was showing us the dharma of how to enter 
there in that way by exemplifying that that dharma that prema dharma in practice and in perfection he's maintaining the jivas affording them the highest sense of of maintenance and freedom so vishwambar mishra this was one of his name his birth name then other nicknames he got as time went on he was born under a tree a neem tree a neem tree is bitter but it's antiseptic so it, it was thought to be have some well antiseptic qualities and capacity to purify such as his mother vishwambar's mother had lost some children at, at birth at childbirth so when this boy was born then there was concern and uh, but the fact that he was born under a neem tree was considered although it's bitter was considered auspicious because it was thought to keep away evil spirits now you find a lot of things that sound superstitious in krishna leela in gor leela and so forth this is another point to consider probably once told us that if you cut your fingernails but leave them rather than throwing them away then ghosts will come or thieves will come so then you know, it sounds like kind of a folk hindu superstition and it is it is that's a superstition but he told us that and other things like that also from his upbringing and and beyond which is the point i want to make the point here is that when we hear so many things that are superstitious for example in krishna leela we have to think that oh it's superstitious on this level within our frame of reference but they're being sp- spoken about to us by people from a different frame of reference in other words probably was speaking from within the frame of reference of the leela so in krishna leela these things happen you understand if you don't you know, clean up after cutting your fingernails and thieves will come <laughs> and astrology and all these things are all part of, very much part of the leela so they don't play out entirely although to some extent they do so we we vacillate between is that just a superstition or should i believe that so i want to be rational and sensible uh, at the same time i but it could be true <laughs> so the the the, the sadaka the practitioner will go through this in an effort to rationalize his or her life as a sadaka does it make as a practitioner does it make any sense i'm dedicating my whole life to this to spiritual practice is it rational uh, we say in monastic life that something like this that i became a monastic and i wondered for quite some time of what relevance is my monastic life to the world and it haunted me but after some time my thinking thinking like that long enough my mind started to think another way just like if you say a word mara 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 means death say it long enough say it. mara 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 it becomes rama which is life and joy death is miserable So anyway so if he's he, thinking like this long enough what relevance is my life to the world and trying to make sense out of your life as a sadhak and particularly as in this context as a, as a monastic eventually it will come to uh, what relevance is the world to my life 
So much life can be found in spiritual practice. And Prahlad has, has described the material world in another way. Puna punas charvita charvananam. It's the same old thing over and over again. Just um, uh, chewing that which has already been chewed. Somebody else has chewed it and spit it out. Now you're going to buy it. Someone is selling the old house and they can't wait to get out. And then a new couple is coming to buy it and they can't wait to get in. <laughs> This way, this world is just rehashing the same things over and over again. Not fresh and new, but spiritual life, as we enter into that and it becomes experiential, we find it's fresh and new, always. The lila of Krishna, the form of Krishna. When devotees have anurag, a very deep attachment to Krishna in my bhajan, every time they see him, the experience is like they've never seen him before. For the first time, see, every time they're seeing, he's unlimited. He has form, yes, he has beauty, but it has no limitation. But every time they see, it's like fresh. Yeah, Notice just the opposite. We look at it in the material world at something over and over again. We, you know, you, you tend to go, if you go shopping, you look and you think, just not quite, that's not quite it, that's not quite, not quite, that might work. And, um, and then you find something that really works, but after a while it doesn't either. And so Krishna Leela is not like that. Ever fresh, new, at every moment. So this is real life. To free ourselves from the fetters, from the confines of matter, from the oppression of the mind and the senses. So the, the life of the sadhaka, we, we have to reason about it. It has to make... Some, some sense to us. We should harmonize our heart and our head. I've often said we should use our head to soften our heart so that we can see the world and experience the world as a lover and then a giver rather than a taker and an exploiter. And then we'll see the kind of things that the rishis saw. We'll see the world in that way. We'll see, we'll have the darshan of Vishnu breathing and see the world. This kind of thing, Sri Krishna Chaitanya, he came to give us. So, anyway, his, his parents were a little concerned because the children, so many children, had died at childbirth from Mother Sachi. But the son was born under an eem tree, so they had they thought that was auspicious because ghosts won't come around the antiseptic neem tree. Now, again, so try to think of it like this. Things that we hear that, that sound superstitious and different rituals and rites and so forth. We have a ritualistic uh, aspect also to our practice, the worship of the deity. And so there are certain ways to conduct oneself in that realm. And they don't always make sense from the, our frame of reference. But again, they are meant to take us to a different frame of reference. We have to bathe at this time, and not that time, and eat at this time, and break the fast at that time. And all this. Don't stay where you are. Try to go there. And the ritual is a reaching out, so to speak, from that inner world to us. As a kind of in-between. It has elements of the, of the material world and elements of the spiritual world. Symbolic representations. Our whole sadhaka's life, life as a practitioner, we call this a sadhaka deha. It's a similar. It's a combination of material elements and 
the spiritual. And as the spiritual overtakes our, our life and consumes us, then the material aspects of the body go away. In other words, the shakti that, that by which it's running, the energy on which it's running, will be different. Therefore, mahatmanastumam pata daivim prakritim ashrita. Great saints, they're running on a different fuel. And it's not a, a um, fossil fuel. It's replenishable and uh, renew. It's a renewable. It's a self-sufficient. That's called Swarup Shakti. That's Maya Shakti, running on a different, different energy in the world, but fueled differently, uh, motivated differently. This is the idea of Bhakti. So he was different names. He had. They named him Nimai after the tree under which he was born, thinking it would, the name, by referring to him like that, would further protect him from ghosts and evil spirits, the likes of which had taken some of the other children of, of Sachi. Oh, and then he became Nimai Pandit, because he was became very learned. Pandit means learned. He was so learned. This is very instructive to us. He had so much knowledge that he could make an argument that no one could defeat. And then he would defeat his own argument. And then no one could defeat that. And then he would revert back to the original argument. And he was, this is Bhagwan Krishna. He has six opulences. One of them is knowledge. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu manifested this, uh, this opulence of knowledge in his youthful Leela in Navadweep and was given the name Nimai Pandit. Even big pandits, big learned elders of the community were uh, impressed by him, so much so that when one pundit from outside of Navadvip came to challenge the Navadvip pundits, it was known for its its scholarship, and uh, then uh, the, the elders left town and thought, well, let him meet with Nimai Pandit, and then if he's defeated, we say, oh, you only debated with one of the children of our community. We happen to be out of town. <laughs> And you know these kind of visitations are not as were not as frequent in those days. They didn't have airplanes and trains and and things to say. Well, I'll come back next week. You know, he had to walk there. And so once he left Navadweep, then they would say, Oh yeah, he came to Navadweep, but he didn't even interface with our scholars. And of course, they also thought inside their hearts. And if Nimai beats them, beats him, then what will be the glory of of Nadia? Just a young boy defeats the Digby Jai Pandit, who was conquering everywhere with his knowledge of uh, Sanskrit and so forth. And of course he did. Nimai Pandit just manifested his opulence of, of knowledge to the point that the, uh, the Pandit was stunned and overwhelmed and couldn't understand what had happened to him. He had worshipped the goddess of learning his whole life. Practically she danced on his tongue whenever he spoke. Thus he was successful. So he thought, why the goddess has let me down? And I've been defeated by a mere boy. What have I done to offend the goddess? The goddess appeared to him, Saraswati, the goddess of learning, in a dream that night and said, I'm the servant of that boy. I try to understand who he is. Am I allowing you to be defeated or his defeating you? That is good for you. Just see. He was very learned, me my pundit. It's instructive to us because sometimes people say, other philosophers... Vedantists. Bhakti is for the less intelligent people who are more emotional. And Gyan, this path is for the 
intelligent people. It's okay if you want to sing. It's okay if you want to chant and you know worship the deity with the incense and all these little things. And you need these kind of rituals and this emotional outlet and so forth. It's a way in which that you can express yourself emotionally and um, and get it purified. But if you're intelligent, then you can just realize and think, be introspective and realize what is this ocean of emotions arising in the mind informed by the senses with its goods and bads, happies and sads and so forth. Don't react to that. Sit still. Be peaceful. Stop riding waves of the ocean of material emotions. This is the Ganmarg. Of course, most people who say, Ganmarg is for the intelligent and the Bhakti Marg is for the less intelligent amongst the Neo-Vedantans and Advaitans and so forth are hardly sitting still. They're probably sitting on a computer and who knows what they're doing on the other end after they stop typing and telling us that bhakti is for the less intelligent. They're not sitting still, otherwise they either would be typing. Shanti, shanti, shanti. But there are some, like Shankar and so forth. They could sit still. But we find also in his writings some inner kind of uh, hidden implications <coughs> is appreciation for bhakti. And we find Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he was not less intelligent. Why he took to bhakti? No, he reasoned well that love transcends reason. And he presented and exemplified an ideology of that culminates in love. Not in knowledge, but in the knowledge that's inherent in love, essential knowledge. Like I said earlier in one of our talks, love gives us a reason to live. So, so reason is subordinate to love. Love gives us a reason to live. So he showed he, his, his command of knowledge was extraordinary. And then, then he, in his leela, he took initiation and he retired all that knowledge and just became a, an emotional singer and chanter and dancer, singing the names of Krishna raising his arms in ecstasy. And, and as he manifests himself as a devotee of extraordinary quality, then he eventually took the sannyas, the renounced order. In doing so, he left his leela in Nadia, in Navadvip, which is, corresponds with Vrindavan. The two are one and different. That will come out in this verse. We'll hear about that. But we'll come back to that. But he left there and took sannyas. And he was given the name Sri Krishna Chaitanya. So here Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami addresses him in this way. One day, Sri Krishna Chaitanya. This is his sannyas name. And in this sannyas name, as a sannyasi, he... Why Bhagwan, the supreme enjoyer, becomes a, a, a renunciate? This is the leela in which God becomes a renunciate, a tyagi. It means to be a renunciate, you have to accept some austerities. You have to travel on foot and in the traditional classical sense. And at that time, certainly in India, and uh, and uh, they carry the, the danda. Danda means like a rod of chastisement and it's for punishing one's words and punishing one's mind and punishing uh, one's activities. And that means punishing them in the sense of restricting them from 
the mind from doing anything but thinking of Krishna, the words from doing anything but speaking about Krishna, the senses and our actions from anything but that which would be favorable to Krishna's service. So the sannyasis, they carry the stick not to beat us, but which they do sometimes, with uh, dogma and, and, and something short of, of realization. But no, they beat them. And if they beat themselves enough, then they have some realization and then they can speak softly and command us. And in other words, get, command our respect rather than demand our respect, as they say. This, after all, is how Krishna is controlling everything. By affection, what a comprehensive way for controlling. Not by force, but by, if anything, by any force, by the force of affection. So Sri Krishna Chaitanya, he took sannyas for our sake. He left Nadia. He appeared in Nadia. He left Nadia. He went from there. From the east, he came west. As explained in this verse, we'll get to that. And for the sake of showing compassion, he demonstrated by his preaching what is the, although Vrindavan and Nadia are the same, what is it? There is one difference between them also. He showed what that difference was by taking sannyas. So these things are all packed in this verse, and it has much to do with why he has addressed this Nimai Pandit, Vishwambar, Gorhari, another of his names. Gorhari, what does it mean? Why is he called Gorhari? Yes? Because he was the golden form of Krishna. Golden form of Hari. Yeah. That's one explanation. That is the common explanation. Another explanation. Yes. Gora means Govinda and Radha. Yes. And Gaur means what? Gaur is the color of Radha and Hari is the thief. So who stole the, the color of Radha, the emotions of Radha? This is an esoteric understanding. So, so many different names he has. But the Sri Krishna Chaitanya, that is an important name to us. They're all important. But in the beginning, this will be important because through his sannyas, in life of renunciation, he actually began to show how to enter into Navadvip and experience it as non-different from Dabha and how to enter into Krishna Leela. When the sannyasi is reaching out to us, Mayamrigam te tepsitaman badhavad, vande mahapurushate charanadavindam, Bhagavatam says about him, oh, chakva sudhus chadusurepsitaraj lakshmin, dharmishtar jivachasa yaragadaranyam. It says about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that he, he had everything. Boy who had everything. He was only 24 years old. Everybody in Nadia loved him. The whole of Navadvip was in love with him for one reason or another. Even those who weren't Vaishnavas loved him and were charmed by him. He even charmed the Muslims who were in, in charge. The Chandkazi and the mayor and the town and so forth. All became subordinate to him. When he began to sing and dance in the street, Hari Harai Nama Krishna Jadavai Namaha, and waving his arms in ecstasy, everyone was defeated by his display of divine love and affection. He was married to the Raj Lakshmi, the, the, the goddess of fortune, Vishnu Priya. And Tyakva Sudhus the Raj Lakshmi. He gave up the Raj Lakshmi. Everybody wants Lakshmi. Lakshmi means like good fortune. If she's with you, then uh, you're having a good day. 
And it's said that she's always with Narayan. She never leaves. She's chased to Narayan. She never leaves him. But he left her as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. For us, this is very extraordinary. We do not find the Lord separated from his consort, I don't believe, in any of his leelas, but in this leela. Sita, Ram, Lakshmi, Narayan, Radha, Krishna, and so forth. But in Gaur Leela, he left Lakshmi. This is uh, like the headlines in the spiritual world. He left her. He becomes sannyasi. How can there be Bhagwan without any without, without his consort? Of course, the other side of that sannyas is, is that in his sannyas, we're preaching and disseminating Gaudi Vaishnavism and making it available by showing the way. He's also experiencing what he's what he's showing. He's having union with Lakshmi, with Radha, in an inconceivable way, like no other avatar either. But ostensibly, anyway, he left his consort. This is like shocking. Narayan has given up Lakshmi. What will become of the world? No, he says. I did it, and she gave me permission. She heard. Me, my pundit, is going to take sannyas. My husband will take sannyas. So he came home one night from Kirtan at the, at the house of Srivas Thakur, where he would regularly go. Do you know about these things? Some of it. Hmm. That's good. He came home, and there she was, very sober. He said, what is on your mind? She just held her head down. Nothing. No, something. Speak up. What is it? You have something on your mind. So he brought it out. She said, uh, the word about town is that you will take sannyas. I mean, you can imagine. It's from an ordinary sense. A young lady married a young man recently. He's only 24. <laughs> She's a few years younger. And her young new husband will take sannyas and leave the world. What will become of her? And she knows him very well also. She knows what will become of you. I know things about you that nobody knows. I provide those things. I make you feel whole. <laughs> I am your Shakti. What will you do without me? Oh, in a hidden way, you will be there. And he explained his, his purpose. He said, for this ad, in this particular advent, our Leela, myself as Vishwambar and you as Vishnupriya Devi, in this Leela, the, what our Leela is about is only shedding tears, crying. This is what our Leela is about. We should shed tears for the plight of the, of the jivas, the conditioned jivas in Kali Yuga and to give them the greatest opportunity. So she agreed. He took sannyas. He gave up the Raj Lakshmi. We are to learn something from this. What do we have? So many leelas and stories in Bhagavatam are meant to make this point also. Why all the stories of the kings and, and so forth? There are many, so many points are being made there. The Bharat Maharaj, and there's a good example. He was the king of India. And Parikshit Maharaj was the principal questioner and listener in the Bhagavatam. He was emperor, not king, but emperor. One of the main things to be drawn from this, essential points, is that, oh, they, they are, the Bhagavatam is demonstrating that people that had something of material value, 
that everybody would think, oh, gee, if I had that, I had the wealth of an emperor or a king, at my disposal, my life would be successful. They were giving that up. Bart Marsh became a beggar. He was the king of India. Parikshit Marsh sat down on the banks of the Jamuna or Ganga and fasted for seven days and nights just to hear from a boy, a 16-year-old boy. He was emperor of the world. Just to hear from a 16-year-old boy. It may come from anywhere. Wherever it comes, we should pay attention there. We should go there. This kind of dispensation. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was just, was just a young boy, 24 years old. He left for the sake of the jivas. He gave up Raj Lakshmi. He had so much wealth. What to speak of kings, emperors. Here is the distilled essence of the Bhagavatam. That lesson that we are to learn from Bhagavatam about the uselessness of material acquisition. Not only uselessness, but how it is counterproductive. How by material acquisition, not only do we not gain anything, we lose standing. How by material acquisition we enter into negative numbers. Not even zero. Or to speak of positive numbers. We go into negative numbers. This is the implication of karma. Just like I've given an example. If you borrow money from the bank, then if you borrow $100,000 from the bank, are you $100,000 richer? No. You're 100000 poor plus interest. It's an illusion. You think you've got something, but actually you are in debt. That's much more. So when we take from material nature out of perceived necessity that we need to do so in order to maintain ourselves, then we become debtors. We become implicated in the network of karma. So the secret is to be a giver. You have to, of course, get some knowledge and learn. Oh, theoretically, I don't need. Necessities are only perceived. And then embrace the practice by which that can be realized gradually, sensibly. Mahabrabhu gave this kind of practice. He taught this. He showed us in a big way by renouncing the uh, goddess of fortune herself. And for our sake, should we not be embarrassed? Should we not pay tribute to Vishnu Priya, who gave him permission? How we are indebted to her. Without his sannyas, without Sri Krishna Chaitanya, who would know about all these things of Krishna Leela and how to access that? So, he did this. Running after the jivas, bewildered by Maya as a sannyasi, he went from Nadia to Katwa and to South India and Puri and traveled and preached and did Namsan Kirtan. So he says, one day Sri Krishna Chaitanya. I offer my obeisances to Sri Krishna Chaitanya. Sri Krishna Chaitanya. Krishna Chaitanya. Chaitanya also means consciousness. So Krishna Chaitanya, we could say it means Krishna consciousness. I offer my obeisances to Krishna consciousness. Personified as it is in Sri Krishna Chaitanya. In no small way, Sri Krishna Chaitanya. He had the consciousness, Krishna consciousness of Radha. That is the extreme of Krishna consciousness. Uh, We say that that Krishna standing next to Radha, that is the full manifestation of Krishna. There are other partial manifestations of Krishna, like Krishna in Dwarka or Krishna in Kurukshetra, even Krishna in Braj to some extent. But when he's standing next to Radha, that Krishna is the full manifestation of Krishna. That means what? What does that mean? 
Oh, that she personifies the fullest love by which she's made manifest, by which she shows. She brings out everything in him. She brings out the best in him, the better half, as they say. She's the better half. Prabhupada used to say, Oh, Krishna standing alone is not so attractive, but when he's standing next to Radha, then he becomes very attractive. So one day, Sri Krishna, Chaitanya, he says, I offer my obeisances to this Sri Krishna Chaitanya. Nityananda, Sahodito. He says that Sahodita, he's appeared along with Nityananda Prabhu. We're reading in the morning, and we'll continue tomorrow morning a little bit about uh, Nityananda Prabhu from the chapter of this book, the fifth chapter, in which Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami expounds upon the glories, that the, the ontological position of, of Nityananda Prabhu. He has given a long explanation of that in the section where we, we are. He starts a narrative of how this Nityananda Prabhu personally entered into his own life and made, made him fortunate, made a beggar or a wealthy person, spiritually speaking. So here he's introduced in this verse also. He says, I offer my obeisances to Sri Krishna Chaitanya along with, together with Nityananda Prabhu. This word Sahaudita speaks about the two of them coming together and also here in, is connected in that way to the first and second line and also connected to the third and fourth line where he will make an analogy, give us an analogy to help us explain, help us understand what the significance of the appearance of these two together, Krishna or Sri uh, Krishna Chaitanya and Nityananda are. So appearing along with Nityananda. So this, this is, of course, then a rather complex uh, aspect of our theology, that this is the religious side of it, the ecstatic side. I spoke the other day about Ved and Abed, oneness and difference. The philosophy is one and the Expression is varied. Uh, difference of expression within the philosophical parameters that make up Gaudiya Vaishnavism is the charm of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the beauty of it. Variety here in material existence is a problem because the variety is that what makes you happy makes me sad, so we have a problem. So we want to get away from that, we want to do away with that duality, but then just to sit still forever and do nothing. That's not a very palatable and attractive idea of, of life. So to find variety within that doesn't compromise unity, this is the idea of the equation, Veda-Veda-Tattva, that Mahaprabhu's disciples, his students, have used to explain the nature of existence, one and different, simultaneously, inconceivably one and different, all things. Anyway, this man, that, that uh, Nityananda Prabhu, there is Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is God, Nityananda is also God, so are there two gods? No, there are going to be two. But in ecstasy, the one God is manifesting in different ways to express himself. That is the idea. Buried in expression, Nityananda is, is so arising out of the ecstasy of Bhagavan. Shri Krishna, Balaram becomes manifest and very much personifies the ideal of, of, of service to Krishna. So similarly, Nityananda Prabhu, therefore, is very important, must be understood. And Mahaprabhu himself went to great labor to explain his position. 
because he was rather unorthodox in his behavior. The story we're reading in the morning about Krishna's Kaviraj and how Nityananda Prabhu appeared in his life also is the purpose of that is to help, to caution us, to understand, to have great regard for Nityananda Prabhu, his great power and influence. Indeed, Pujapad Sridhar once described that the avesh of the Shakti, the empowerment of Krishna's Shakti, that was manifest in Srila Prabhupada because his disciples like to refer to him as Shakti Avatar because Sridhar said something like that. Oh, I consider him as Shakti Vesh, that he was empowered with the Shakti of Bhagavan to do that work of preaching all over the world. And when they asked, what Shakti? Then the reply came, oh, Nityananda Shakti, something like that. By the power of Nityananda. Nityananda manifests his power in him to do that kind of work. To speak to the downtrodden people all over the world who are further west from east, where Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appeared in Nadia. East is the direction of the gods. So he says, when they see Krishna Chaitanya, Nityananda Sohodito, he has appeared along with Nityananda. If it weren't for Nityananda Prabhu, we would not know fully the glory of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, at least in terms of how it relates directly and immediately to ourselves as being our savior and the potential to save us, regardless of how we may appear even unsalvageable in our present condition, beyond saving. Saha Udita, so Udita means like, like also like rise up. And, uh, so Nityananda Prabhu was, is, is also who showed the, the, the height of the glory of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, hmm? who demonstrated in his own Leela how Mahaprabhu has his Patita Pavan, the power to deliver the most fallen people by his deliverance of Jagai and Madai, which was orchestrated by Nityananda Prabhu. So he did these kind of things to shed light, bright light, on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, particularly with regard to his um, Slavific um, capacity, his capacity to serve as the savior. I mentioned earlier that avatars come from Vishnu within the Shristi Lila, the Lila of the world. And in doing so, they get to experience the, the quality of being the savior. If there's no world of of people that need to be saved, then God cannot be the Savior. So He must be all things. So the world is there in one sense to facilitate that. But the power, the saving power, the redeeming power of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, it cannot be compared to that. None, none of, of any other avatar cannot be compared to that of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Nityananda Prabhu wanted to make that clear. That is the whole import, the Leela of delivering Jagai and Madai, who were, um, they were worse than us, because they were born in good families as Brahmins, religious families, and they knew better, and they did so many things. We don't know better. So, if you do know better, then that's another thing. Now that you know better. But they knew better, and still they acted in that way, and still they were delivered. Nityananda Prabhu orchestrated it such that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would deliver them to demonstrate his power of, of acting in the capacity of a savior. We are foolish to look anywhere else. If we study the character, the immortal and nectaring character of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we will readily and quickly become convinced. We should invest all of our coins here in what he has given. Not only is his generosity great and power to 
to deliver. But the extent to which the deliverance is brought about, the measure of the deliverance is extraordinary. When we combine these two things, what? Giving the highest thing to the most unqualified, then we have true magnanimity. If we give the highest thing only to the most qualified people, that is usually the standard, right? Preserve the highest thing for the most qualified people. Those who are less qualified, they'll get something less. But he's giving the highest thing to the least qualified. This is true magnanimity, true generosity. And this is also, then, the difference that I mentioned earlier in the oneness of Navadvipa and Vrindavan, the Krishna Leela of Vrindavan and the Gaur Leela of Nadia and beyond, generosity. So he says, Godadai Pushpabanto Chitro Sando Tamonudo Sangdo. It refers to his magnanimity, his generosity, Audarja. We'll come to that. But here now in the third line, after offering respects to Sri Krishna Chaitanya, and to Nityananda Prabhu, his other self, whom we should have great regard for, who shows how to take advantage of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and does not restrict, that he extends the mercy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu through himself, giving it to the most downtrodden people. After offering respect to them, he says, he gives uh, a uh, metaphor <coughs> help us appreciate them. He says, Godadai Pushpabanto. Just as the as if, if you could imagine, if the sun and the moon were to arise from the east at the same time, the sun dispels darkness in the daytime, and the moon, full moon, dispels the darkness at night. If these two were to arise at the same time, how that would be extraordinary. Then there could be no darkness. We don't have the experience like this, but poetically speaking, and with a vision of, if, uh, through the lens of ecstasy, he's thinking like this, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Nityananda Prabhu. It is as if the sun and the moon rose from the east in Godadesh at the same time. And in doing so, Chitro Sando Tamunudo. They've given light and dissipated darkness. Now, there's much to be said about these two lines. We require another discussion. We've discussed only the first two lines. So we'll stop there and continue this discussion. What is Godadai? What is Chitro, Sando, Tomo, all these things? Any questions? So everyone's comfortable? Mind is not disturbed by need of anything? <laughs> I don't travel with much. I only had one bag with a few pieces of cloth. I found I can live without it. <laughs> so, some of the things we may be accustomed to, we don't have here such facility, but there are other things. Hopefully they will make up for that. Good company, interesting topics, the singing of Krishna Nam. Anyway, I'm very comfortable in your company in your association. You made some effort to come here and I appreciate that. So, yes, question. Uh, Guru Maharaj, why is it that we hear so little about Vishnu There's very little about her in the books. Yes, there's very little about her in the books. 
because mostly the acharyas have emphasized in writing about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu the fact that he is Krishna coming to experience the love of Radha. So Vishnu Priya is, is a particular manifestation of Radha. But rather they, they have then focused on her, they have focused on the fact that Radha is actually Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna, but he's becoming Radha. He actually um, practically became Radha. He, he developed her, her whole ecstasy and disposition and so forth in the end and tasted that. So it's such a vast topic that, like you said, well, sometimes people ask us, what's your philosophy in five minutes? Can you give me an explanation? Well, in 500 years, <laughs> since the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we've been busy talking about this this aspect. So not as much emphasis on uh, on Vishnu Priya because it doesn't that emphasis does not speak to us about the, the fullness of the descent of of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Vishnu Priya Pranadan Nadiya Bihari Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. She has reverential love for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So she's instructed to us in that way. We should we should love Chaitanya Mahaprabhu like that as a servant. Dasya bhakti to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that will beget then Prajabhakti to Radha and Krishna in a suitable, appropriate uh, sentiment as he would like. So how do we get to Prajabhakti? We have to go through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You have to enter into the Kirtan, the house of Srivas Thakur. You have to do that kind of Sankirtan. Mahaprabhu was not letting anybody in there, only a few people. Highly qualified people. But he came out of there. Why? To show us how to enter there. Kirtan is sadhana and kirtan is sadhya also. There's the means and there's the end as well. That kirtan and that kirtan in the house of Srivast, then during kirtan, Mahaprabhu would say, See me, who I am, and see you, who you are. And show the devotees their form in Krishna Leela and himself. He showed Mahari Gupta, I'm Ram, you are Hanuman, just see. He showed Shuklam Brahmachari, you are Sridam, Brahman, my friend. I am your friend from Krishna Leela, just see. What are you keeping in your bag? Some rice, let me have that. And he ate it. The implication is that in Sankirtan, then all these things will be found. When Sankirtan becomes pure, then Nam has the power to show everything. Leela is also in the name. So if you want to participate in the Leela, this is the vehicle through the name. And there's a whole Leela of Bhagavan to teach that. Let us go around this Mahaprabhu's Leela. So enter the Kirtan at the house of Srivas. This is our ideal. He came out to show how to enter there. From his ecstasy of Nirjan Bhajan and Vipralamba Seva in Puri, he entered into the bridge Leela. But it's not that he didn't have that. It wasn't tasting in, in Nadia, in Srivas' house. That is a part of the Niti Leela of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So in the Niti Leela of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he tastes that also and goes there into Krishna Leela. And his devotees go with him. But when he comes out then and takes sannyas and travels, then this Leela is rel- relative to us, manifest for our sake. We're teaching how to experience that. It's a big topic. Hmm. All right.
Sri Krishna Chaitanya Mahaprabhu ki jai, Sitanand Prabhu ki jai, Sri Guru Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai, Kaur Bhaktabindu ki jai, Kaur Premanande.